Before I jump into this podcast, I do want to give a quick shout out to my friend James Bean at SeedsHereNow.com. Make sure to check out SeedsHereNow.com for monthly sales, James Bean's pocket full of freebies, and of course, easy peasy credit card payment options. To catch the latest drops from your favorite breeders, check out SeedsHereNow.com. Here we go. Welcome to the show, podcast world. I'm your host. My friends call me Rasta Jeff. This is episode 733 of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about hanging out with our dogs and our pets in our grow room. Before we get to that part of the show, let's do a few shout outs to a few of those great folks who continue to support the show on Patreon. Let's kick it off with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast thank you shout out to my friend Pac Northwest Dan. Let's send a big thank you shout out to Single T and Canner Reaper 413. Let's send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to Rut Row. Let's send a big thank you shout out to my buddy Luke. Let's send a thank you shout out to a great photographer and a good tester, my buddy Samurai Gardens. Let's send a thank you shout out to my dude Rasufa. Let's send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to Spartan 420. Let's send a big thank you shout out to Frankie and Thor Strike Factory. Then let's wrap it all up with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast thank you shout out to my friend Mobius Grows. Big thanks and big shout out to everybody who continues to support the show on Patreon. If you are not already supporting the show and you would like to learn how to do so, all you have to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. All of the information you need will be right there on the screen and you know I do include a link in the show notes and in the video description to make it nice and easy for all of my friends to support the show. All right, I don't have a lot of stuff to ramble about. I do want to mention that I think I have answered all of the Patreon questions. If you have sent me a Patreon question, I think I've done my best to either print it or answer it on the show. If I haven't got to your Patreon question, please resend that or send me a reminder. I will get your questions on the show I went through the other day. I printed them all out. I think I'm caught up and or catching up unless you've sent it in the past couple of days. It should be in this pile of printed messages or it should be done already. Keep them coming. Do send the questions on Patreon. Also, don't forget about that Grow Help tab on the website at iregenetics.com. There's a tab there that says Grow Help. Click on there. I will help you answer all of your grow questions. All right, I said I wasn't going to ramble too much. Let's talk about the main topic of today's podcast. Uh, let me let you know how I got to this point of the podcast. I have been... um maybe co-parenting, maybe pup-sitting, some dogs. I've got two wonderful dogs hanging out. I can see them uh, just behind the cameras. They're chewing on some bones, keep themselves entertained for a while. But it brought me up a, a bunch of great stuff to talk about for the podcast here. My first question is, do you take your dogs into the grow space? That's my big question. I prefer not to have the dogs in the grow. I operate. Uh, I was operating in a lot of commercial environments, a lot of large grows. Uh, my grow is a large part of my livelihood. So taking a dog in there, uh, there, I don't have any fear that these dogs are going to damage the plants, any equipment. They're not going to get in, into anything. They're pretty good dogs. Uh, but what about all of the pests, the things that are in all of their fur? I'm not saying those dogs are dirty, but we went for a walk today and I watched one dog run through the lawn. The other one rubbed up, a, up against a couple of bushes. We go on hikes. We go out in the woods. We go out in the desert. We go out in the trees. We go everywhere. These dogs are gathering all sorts of things. So do we bring our dogs in the grow rooms? Because if we do, I fear we are spreading 
those, whatever they gathered into the grow room. But also then I think about it, um, am I bringing that in just on my pants, on my shoes, in my dreadlocks? I know it's disgusting, right? I could have whatever the dogs walked across, they snuggled up against me, it's on my pants, it's on my clothes, it's on your clothes and your pants. Do I just happen to have dreadlocks down to my ankles? Uh, may, calves, maybe I'm exaggerating, they do hit the calves. Uh, I got dreads at least past the knee, so I've got a lot of opportunity to gather things. Uh, so am I any worse than the dogs? Are the dogs any worse than me? That was something I was thinking about today on a very stoned dog walk, which we will talk about uh, a little bit later. But anything that ends up on that dog is going to end up on your shoes, your clothes, your pants, your t-shirt, your dreadlocks, your arms, uh, your car seat, your couch. Uh, if you're out in the woods or out at the forest or out at a hike, wherever you may take the dogs. And I said hike. I apologize if you caught that both times. Uh, if you're out there with the dogs, whatever you get on you, if it's a tick, if it's a spider mite, if it's a fungus gnat, whatever you could, if it's a fucking tree spider, if it's a wood spider, a wolf spider, a black uh, brown recluse, a black widow, a cobra, I'm exaggerating here, but anything you do pick up, you're going to carry that to the car, it's going to get in the car seat, it's going to get in your clothes, it's going to come to the house, it's going to get in the couch, are you changing clothes immediately when you get home, are you vacuuming out the car all the time? So I'm curious about the dogs in the grow space, grow environment. I personally choose not to let the dogs in the grow, but I walked the dogs and then I came in the house and I went and I had to do some things. I had to quickly change clothes and then go to the grow space. And I'm wondering, are there any things that I just introduced to that grow? I love the dogs to death. So it's a kind of a, a barrier to figure out there. So another thing you have to think about when you have dogs around is all the dog hair in photos. I used to have a dog that lived here with me uh, for several years. She passed away. Rest in peace, Jen Dog. If you guys remember the old shows back in the day, sometimes you'd hear uh, her footsteps tap across the floor here when we were recording. Big up to Jen Dog. Miss you, boo. Uh, but that dog would get dog fur in the photos. Just the dog fur would end up on me. I'd go take a great cannabis photo. Nine out of 10 times, the best photos I ever took would have a little piece of dog fur in there. So Ginger would be in the photos all the time. Um, we used to say that you could tell a bag of weed is really good weed and it was grown with love if there are a couple of dog hairs in your ounce. That's how you know it's really good weed. So big up to all the growers out there with the dog. I'm just curious, do you take your dog into the grow? Do you feel like your dog is uh, compromising your integrated pest management strategy? Is that something that we need to improve or work on if we do have our dogs around? In the outdoor grow, bring the dog around. The dog works as security. The dog loves the plants. The dog's good companionship. In the indoor environment, I may choose not to bring the dog in there. But like I rambled on about, am I just carrying the things? I snuggle with the dog. I touch the dog, scratch on the dog, make silly dog voices. Then I walk into the house, change clothes, walk into the grow room where the dogs or where the plants are. I probably didn't clean up well enough. Definitely something in the dreadlocks. Carried some shit in there. All right, let's see where we are now. The next part of this ramble festival is... Do your dogs enjoy consuming cannabis? Do your pets enjoy consuming cannabis? Uh, these dogs I am babysitting now are not fully mine. I'm not comfortable blowing any smoke in their direction yet. Uh, when I'm given permission by their parents one day, their main parent, their mommy one day, uh, then maybe they may get stoned. But so far at this point, those dogs have not been stoned. I did have pets in the past that some of those pets love to smoke and some of those pets hated to smoke. I mentioned Jin Dog a minute ago. Shout out to Ginger the dog. Ginger hated cannabis. She would not, she didn't want to be around the smoke. She didn't like edibles. She did not want anything to do with weed. If it got too smoky in the car, too smoky in the room, uh, she would try to find a way out. You'd have to open a window, give Ginger some air. However, I had some cats back in the day that, yeah, I'm not really a cat guy, but I lived in an apartment. It was kind of a, uh, a multiple people environment. One of the peoples there had cats. Uh, I would smoke weed regularly in that house through a big bong. I had a really cool big bong. Every time I would get out that bong and start breaking up my weed, 
those cats would just come surround me. They'd start circling me and just meow, meow, meow. And I'd take a big fat bong rip and I wouldn't blow it directly at the cats. I'd blow it kind of at the floor and they would just go bask in that smoke and they would get stoned. And after a couple of bong rips, the cats would leave me alone. So I really think the cats loved to smoke weed with me. They loved to get blazed. Anytime I would roll a joint, bust out the bong, those cats would be like, oh yeah. And they'd just come cruise around and do that. And they rub up against you and they purr and I'd blow them a couple bong hits and they'd leave me alone. They'd be content and they'd just go do cat shit around the house and be dicks like cats do. Uh, however, Ginger Dog, if you blew a bong rip at her, she'd growl at you and put her head down and try to hold her breath and be like, dude, why did you just do that to me? You're ruining my life. Gin Dog hated bong rips. These dogs, um, when I turn on the dab torch, they come wherever they are. If I fire up the dab torch, if they're in the living room, if they're trying to go out to the backyard, right now they're chewing up bones. If I fired up the dab torch, they'd come hang out. I think they enjoy either uh, hanging out with me while I dab or they want to get high. I'm not sure yet. Got to ask their mommy for permission and she will tell me no. So they'll never find out if they like smoking. Uh, where am I on the notes? Uh, with that being said, I'll never force smoking upon an animal. I'll never give an animal um, edibles or anything that they, if they don't enjoy it, if they haven't showed any interest in it, I will not do that to a dog. Gin dog uh, ate edibles one time that were, uh, they weren't meant for her to eat. She stole them off a the table. I never thought she'd do that. She was a better dog than that at that time, but she stole some edibles and got high. She was too high and she did not enjoy that. She was fucked up for a long time. So after that, I never gave her edibles again. She never wanted to smoke, uh, but I would never force it on an animal. You guys do not force medicate your animals unless maybe if you're giving them like CBD for a medical condition, but if you're just getting them high to be a dick, don't do that. If you're giving, if you're treating them for a medical condition and they're uh, every animal's resistant to taking medication. They know they'll take, they'll eat everything they're not supposed to eat until you try to give them some medicine. I'm like, oh, that's good for me. I shouldn't eat that. That's not rabbit poop. I'm not going to eat that. Yeah, animals are trippy like that. But let's not force our dogs to get high. That's not cool unless they really enjoy it. Um, something I was going to talk about ginger dog, gin dog, dude. There's nothing I mentioned earlier, those stoned as fuck dog walks. There is nothing like getting ultra blazed. I may allegedly have done this this morning. I may have taken excessive dabs this morning and got these dogs all laced up on their leashes and went for a really nice dog, dog walk. Nothing like getting lit up and going for a long blazed dog walk in the sunshine. Got the dogs just cruising. You got someone to talk to. The people probably think I'm crazy because I talk to those dogs like they're fucking humans. There are a couple of my buddies talk to them. They got very unique personalities. We go for a walk in the morning. I get super blazed. Uh, gin dog, my dog Ginger back in the day before she passed away, if it was like 10, 10 30, maybe 11 o'clock at night in the spring and the summertime, maybe early fall when it wasn't too cold here in Colorado, it gets cold. So fuck the winter dog walk. That that's another story. That's a pain in the ass. But in the nice weather time, if my dog saw me grab the grinder and some papers and a bag of weed, she'd watch me. She'd be like, Oh shit, he's rolling a joint. It's like 10 o'clock. He's rolling a joint. She'd watch me roll up a joint, roll up a couple of joints and set them on the side of the desk. And if she saw me go get my shoes and sh shoes and socks, she'd be like, oh shit, it might be time. It might be time. And she'd start wiggling. I'd see her get all excited. If I grabbed that leash, that dog would know, oh my God, we're going for a 10 o'clock joint walk. It's going to be one of those nights. And we'd just go walk around the neighborhood and smoke a couple of joints and just walk the dog. Something about that was just so satisfying, so pleasing, so relaxing. Just cruising the neighborhood with my dog. I feel like uh, I'm a, just a weird looking dude. I guess I'm a fucking tall white guy with dreadlocks down to my ass uh, in kind of a nicer neighborhood. So walking around late at night here for no reason may look a little bit sketchy, but if I got the dog, you got a really good excuse to be out. I'm just a guy, a hippie guy walking the hippie dog. That looks really natural. And who wouldn't expect me to be smoking a joint? If you saw my hippie ass walking with my dog and I wasn't smoking a joint, then you'd think I'm up to something. So smoking a joint lets you know 
what I'm up to. I'm out walking my dog, smoking a joint. Here comes the dog to say hi. Hi, boy. Please don't interrupt the recording. Don't knock anything over. He's going to come sit by me because he heard me talking about him. But going and walking and smoking a couple of joints is great. Nobody cares that I'm out there smoking a couple of joints. And by the time, if anybody does say anything, by the time I'm done uh, walking past them, they forgot about it. And then by the time anybody would show up to harass me, the joint would be out. I'm just walking dogs. No problem. So nothing like a nice 10 30 11 p.m dog walk my dog would get so excited she me see me roll those joints grab my shoes and she'd just be watching is he gonna get the leash is he gonna get the leash and as soon as i would i have the leash in one spot i would keep it up on top of the fridge just out of the way if she saw me reach up there she'd be like oh god here we go and she started spinning in circles she knew that was the coolest shit ever you guys have been rambling on long enough about walking our dogs and pets let me make sure i covered all these notes here uh they're carriers of bugs but we love them so much so they're worth their bullshit um, those things end up in your clothes and your shoes. So you, do you change your clothes and your shoes before you go into your grow space, especially after playing with your animals that may be helping you out? Um, is there dog hair in your photos? That's how we know you got pets. If there's dog hair in the weed, that's how we know you're growing really good. weed. don't force your pets to consume cannabis unless you're giving them some sort of medication, some sort of medicine, uh, getting them high, especially blowing it in their ear and stuff. That's completely rude. You guys, I got to go take something from the dog. I don't even know what he's got. I'm not even going to edit this out, but um, hang on. We're going to go get some shit from Rafiki. All right. I am back through the magic of editing. Thanks for hanging out for a minute while I solved some dog problems. That is enough rambling about dogs. Let me know. Tweet me. Uh, send me a message. However, you do want to contact me on Twitter. It is at GFYH podcast. Send me an email or reach out on the grow help tab. Let me know. Do you allow the dogs in your grow space or maybe even send me pictures of your cute dogs? I'm down with that keeping an eye on this dog because he's fired up. He's feisty. Let's jump into some emails before I've got to wrap up this podcast. This one came from our friend. They want their name said. It doesn't even have their name on it. Um, it goes a lot like this. It says, when you think a mother plant needs to be replaced, do you grow them or just ditch them? That's a very good question. This is kind of controversial between Mike and myself. It says, I've had bad luck growing them out, mostly just really low yields. One strain just died two times I tried it. Also, I was listening to your latest episode. Talk of your love of comedy and podcasts. You should try the Ice Cream Social. Then he sent me a link to the Ice Cream Social. I will do my best to remember to check that out. I've got a link, so that makes it easy. Thank you. Big up for being a podcast and a comedy fan. Let's talk a little bit about mother plants and if we should flip them or just toss them and replace them. That's really all about your strategy, your needs, your wants, and your goals. I replace my mother plants about two, maybe three times a year, depending on uh, the lights, the plants, the health of the plants, just timing, the way shit goes. Every three, maybe every six months-ish, uh, they do need a replacement. So I do take a bunch of clones. As soon as I get them potted and rooted, then I cut down the big plants and throw them away. Or sometimes they get moved into a flowering room, or sometimes they will get taken outdoors and bloom outdoors. So the determining factors are... I'd like to know what I'm going to do with those plants before I start taking clones. I already know that I need them for mothers for genetic preservation to provide clones uh, just to keep that, uh, that genetic alive. That cultivar needs to exist via the mother plant. So a lot of times I will know my goal uh, for that plant, the ultimate goal. Is it going to be, is it going to go outdoors? Is it going to get tossed? Is it going to be a big clone donor? Is it going to go indoors to get flowered? I already have that goal in mind when I start taking cuts the very first time. So let's say I just got a new plant. I'm going to make it a mother plant. Here it is. This microphone is my new mother plant. I'm going to grow it. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to grow it out. 
the first time I take cuts off of it, I've got a strategy. Is this going to end up outdoors? Is it going to end up in the flower room indoors? Is it going to make a bunch of clones or is it just going to end up dead on the floor after I've got the cuts I need? I will start that plan from the time I get it, from the time I cut this clone and grow it into a plant that I can work with. Now I've got an idea of what it's going to be. 90% of the time, I always take that main top right out of the middle just to make the bottoms grow up and catch up. So that's going to be my first clone. And then I usually go to the bottom and take three or four clones off the bottom just to clean it up and lollipop it, uh, make give it a little bit of health. Then I can start making it spread out the way that I need to from there. If it's going to go outside, I want a lot of tops. I want to make it a big bush. If it's going to go indoors, I have to keep it short and squat. So I take lots of clones off the top all the time. If it's going to be somebody that is just going to donate a lot of clones, I will top it low early. I apologize if you hear the dog drinking water in the background. Things are different here. We will make adjustments and get this corrected, but you may hear the dogs drinking right now. Um, if I'm going to make a lot of clones, I'll top it early. That way it will spread out real far, and then I'll just keep topping it to give me a lot of heads and a lot of tops. And every intersection where I get a node coming up and there's a branch coming off one way and a branch going one way, I'll cut it right between those, cut the peace sign out of it. That way I get two tops and then I'll do that again and repeat that. That way I can make a bunch and a bunch of clones. That plant will probably end up getting cloned to death. And then as soon as I get roots off of my clones, that one gets chopped down and thrown away. So it's all about what I'm going to do with that plant, the ultimate goal. If I want to put it outside, it'll get fucking topped and spread out real far. If I'm going to put it indoors, it's got to stay squatting low because my indoor environment's kind of low. If it's going to be a clone donor, it gets topped early, spread out a lot, pulled down so I can make a lot, a lot of clone material from that plant. So it's all about the original or the ultimate goal. When I get that clone, I already know that idea before I start mothering that plant out. I have an idea of where it's going to go. Uh, they do need to be replaced about every three to six months, maybe more frequently, depending on the health of your plant and your grow environment, the rate of growth, the lights you've got, the genetics. My Congo plant, I've got that Roberts Creek, Roberts Creek Congo. That fucker grows three times taller and faster than everybody else, so I got to top her, replace her every so often. The Chem de la Chem grows super fast. However, that uh, the unicorn poop doesn't grow at all, so uh, I don't need to replace that one very often. It just makes a few shoots, super easy to manage, super easy to handle. So it's all about the genetics, all about the plants. Do I grow them or just ditch them? Uh, it depends. Sometimes they go outside and get pollinated. Sometimes they go outside and make big buds. Sometimes I cut a bunch of cuts off of them and give the cuts to my friends. Uh, it just kind of depends on the ultimate goal. Then it says, you've had bad luck growing them out, mostly low yields. That's because... Probably I'm not there. I don't see what's going on. I don't have any evidence, but probably just uh, poor preparation. You're more focused on them being mother plants. Uh, you're more focused on them providing cuts. So you're not preparing them to be flowered plants. You're not giving them uh, the proper uh, the proper preparation. That was hard for my brain to even put together, but they weren't prepared properly to be flowered plants. You're only focusing on them as mothers. And oftentimes, we don't focus enough on the veg or the mothers. We think we just need them alive. We need them in there. When they get into flower, we'll really spoil them, really take care of them. And that is not really a, uh, a good, that's not a best practice. You need a good, solid foundation. And the foundation starts at the mother plant because you want a healthy mother plant to provide a healthy clone. The strong clone turns into a strong veg plant, turns into a badass flowering plant. You can't start off with a crappy weak mother plant or an unhealthy mother plant or an unhealthy clone. We gotta have the veg, the moms, the clones, everything all the way up to dry and cure harvest all has to be 100% top notch if you want it to be top notch. So 
I'm not accusing you, I'm not pointing fingers, but a possibility, an option, is that maybe your veg room, your mother plants aren't getting the care, the love that they need, so they're not as uh, healthy and optimal as you could have them when it is time to flower them and make buds out of them. That is one thing that could be occurring. Again, I don't know the situation, but I'm just going with what I've got. Please don't feel like I'm accusing you, blaming anything on you, although it's your grow. So uh, maybe they're just not prepared. And then it says one just died. Are they root bound? Are they getting too root bound? Are they going, uh, are they in larger pots before you flower them? Are they going their whole lives in a three, a five, a seven gallon pot? And then you're flowering them out. They're getting root bound. Are you overwatering them? Is it just the stress and the shock from going, uh, from being a mom plant, being in veg constantly into a flower room? Are you putting them outside? There are a lot of variables here, but I would think maybe uh, they're getting root bound or something if they're just dying, or maybe that light stress is killing them, or maybe you're overwatering. I really think it is an overall plant health issue. You're not treating the mother plants from the very beginning as plants that are going to be flowered. You're using them just simply as genetic preservation. Uh, they're not getting the love, the care, the attention. They're not robust enough. They don't have the strength, the vigor to follow through and continue as powerful flowering plants. That is my guess, my estimate. Again, I don't have a lot of information here, so I'm just going with what I can guess with. Um, Dude, thank you for the great recommendation on the podcast. If there is more info to this, please do follow up. Of course, you've got my email address. Uh, looks like you send it to growfromyourheart at hotmail.com. Please do send it that direction. Thank you for the great question. Let's get your mother plants dialed in so that we can keep you on a perpetual cycle. Some people will actually take their mother plants, cut a few clones from it, um, then flower the mother plant so that they don't ever actually have a mother plant. It's a perpetual cycle where we're using a mother plant, a veg plant as a mother plant. So you veg it, grow it, cut clones from it, uh, then put that one into flower, then grow some of those clones out, veg those, put those into flower. It's a perpetual cycle without a mother plant. So if we can keep you uh, in healthy plants, we can create a perpetual cycle that way without any struggles and without plants dying early in the flowering phase. All right, I do have one more question here in front of me. We're gonna cover this one from our friend Dinger. Big shout out to our buddy Dinger from Illinois. This message goes just like this. It says, Rasta Jeff, that's me, bro. It says, much love from Illinois. Thanks for putting out the positivity and directness into the show and your work. You do not fuck around. Thank you, bro. I'm glad it's noticed that I'm here to teach directly, try to get the message across, try to speak in a way that everybody can understand. Also in the seed game, I try to get shit out that is reliable, that is solid. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I know that you guys work hard for your money. Money is expensive. You choose to give me money for your seeds. I want to make sure you get a quality product that will give you a quality return. That is my ultimate goal there. Make you happy with me so that when you see me at an event, you don't go, man, I gave that guy money for seeds and they suck. Fuck that guy. I want you to say, I gave that guy money for seeds and they were some of the best seeds I ever grew. That is my goal. I want you to come and give me a hug and be happy about it. Um, you're right. I do not fuck around, although I do like to have a lot of fun. Uh, we're fucking around the whole time, keeping a smile on our faces while getting shit done. All right. I am back. I had to go referee a dog wrestling match. I think everybody is in their own corners. I think everybody's going to regroup. We've called a truce for the time being. I think everybody's distracted and busy for a minute. Let's get back into this message. I do apologize for the distractions. It does say, I've been growing for two years now, and within the last nine months, with help from your show and the Dude Grow Show, I went from harvesting shitty genetics in a substandard plant environment to growing some dank genetics and even making my own silver thiosulfate solution 
fem seeds and growing out dank that I have bred myself. Dude, that is such a great sentence to read. Congratulations. You went from, uh, it sounds like you were kind of struggling and trying to figure it out to breeding your own seeds and harvesting them and growing some dank from those seeds. That is a full, a uh, full circle, a full cycle. You are self-sufficient now, my dude. Congratulations. I know how that feels. I've been there. Uh, welcome to the gang. Good job. Then it goes on. It says, I just popped a pack of Saka Souffle. I'm looking for that bubblegum cough syrup turp. I hope you find that one, bro. That's a winner. It says, I couldn't thank you enough, my dude. You are very welcome, bro. Thank you for uh, the encouragement. Thank you for the compliments and congratulations on your uh, improvements and your success. Now it does say on to the question. I just recently picked up a pack of seeds which were labeled GMOBX3F2. I already see where this is going. That could get confusing. Then there is a description. It says the Larry OG clone was crossed into SFV OG to provide the original male pollen on the first back cross. The breeder selected plants from the BX3 to make his F2 seeds. Now, somebody now it does go on. It says how much variation would one expect to find in a second filial generation of something that has been back crossed three times. Thanks from Dinger. All right. There's one part here where it says the Larry OG clone was crossed to SFV OG to provide the pollen. All right. To make the first original back cross. So then that's not a back cross. That's an outcross, right? Unless Larry OG and that's not. So anyway, we're going to skip that part because parts of that right there do make it sound a little bit wonky. I'm not sure what that part is about. Let's talk about this labeling of GMO BX three F two, and then we'll answer the rest of the question. Cause I want to cover this. So GMO BX three, that sounds like just a bunch of random stuff. Somebody has the GMO plan. I've talked about GMO before. It does not stand for garlic, mushroom, onions, get that out of your head. That's bullshit. That's not what it stands for. GMO is called GMO because it smells like crazy chemicals and it's got Girl Scout, the strain Girl Scout cookies in it. And when it got popular, the Girl Scout cookies were under scrutiny for it being discovered that they were using genetically modified organisms in their fancy ass Girl Scout cookies. So at the time they called the Girl Scout cookies cross that smelled like chemicals, GMO, ask Skunk Master Flex. That's the fucking story. Quit making shit up, you guys. Let's get back to it. GMO. We've got a GMO BX3. That means that somebody took a GMO plant and they backcrossed it to one of its parents. In this story that I read, part of it is convoluted, so we're going to leave that part out. But we're going to say, for the sake of uh, real talk here, they took the GMO plant and BX3'd it. That means they took the GMO plant, probably the female. They, so they took the GMO plant. They've got the female GMO. Then they take a male plant. There was a parent of the GMO. That's where the story confuses me here because I don't know the exact parents of the GMO. I don't think it was Larry OG. I don't think it was SFE. So we're going to leave that part out, but we'll talk about this just for the sake of what the real BX3 is. They took the GMO. Then they took a parent of the GMO to make it a real back cross. You take a parent of it and pollinate that to the new GMO. So it's just a parent pollinating a child, which sounds crazy, but in plants that does work. That's why it's a back cross. We went back. We took a parent, a child, and we pollen. It went back and got pollen from a parent and put that on the plant. Now we've made our BX1 and we're going to grow those out. We're going to find a plant that looks just like the GMO. Now they could have done a couple of things. I'm not sure which way they did it, but at this point you take pollen from one plant and put it on the female. That way we're using the parent plant and the offspring to keep going original parent to further generation offspring. The idea here is to lock in those traits of the GMO to make it look just like GMO every time. That's the way we back cross it. 
And this would be done because maybe we don't have an original pollen donor. Uh, maybe we've got a female. Maybe we've only got a male. Uh, Backcrossing could be done for several reasons. And they do explain the pollen they use, but that that dilutes the story of the back cross and that, that makes it confusing here. I don't know enough about that. So we've got our back cross. We took a parent and we pollinated a female, uh, one of the children. Then we found a child out of that. And then we pollinated that child again with our original parent. Then we did it again. We did that three times three back crosses. Now F2, we take a batch of the uh, BX3, the back cross third generation. We got a handful of those seeds. Now we grow those and we find a boy and we find a girl. Uh, I may have to go referee a dog fight, but we'll edit that out. We find a boy and a girl and we breed those together. What comes from those is now the F2 generation of that back cross. We made the BX1, uh, the parent to the child, and then we found a seed. Then we took a parent to that child and then we found that seed and we took a parent to that child. That is a BX3. Now we take a batch of those seeds and find a boy and a girl and breed. That is a filial, an F1. It's a BX1 or a BX3. Also, that is the F1. It's a first filial generation. Every time you make something, it's technically an F1. Uh, so the first, that's an F1 of that. So we'll find a boy and a girl from that F1 and breed them. We have now made the F2 filial generation of that back cross. That is a BX3 F2. That is a lot to get to to explain that, but that does make sense if you followed along. Now, the question is, how much variation would one expect to find in a second filial generation of something that has been back-crossed three times? Um, I don't have a definite, definitive, solid answer because it is all about selection. If the proper selections were made, uh, it could be very uniform. If the proper selections were not made, it could be fucking wild. We've got a couple of things working for us and working against us. The BX3, if done properly, should be narrowed down to where approximately 85% of the phenotypes will represent the original parent they were trying to replicate if done properly. 85 to 92%-ish of those seeds should come out looking like the original parent we had intended to replicate in this back cross if this was done correctly. Um, there's no correct or incorrect. It's all about selection and intuition and aleal charts, and then honestly, seeing if nature worked the way we hoped it would when we did the cross. Sometimes you nail it, sometimes you fucking miss it. This is the time when we do the cross, see if it works. If it doesn't, you gotta go backwards another generation and just start over with different plants. So if we did the selections properly, by the time you get to that BX3, you have got really uh, stable, really locked in expressions of phenotypes. Now, it gets crazy when we make F2s. F2 is kind of the Pandora's box of genetics. When you make the F2, that's where we see uh, plants that look a lot like mommy, plants that look a lot like the daddy, but then we also see grandparents of both plants and grandparents of those grandparents of both plants. We can sometimes find, F2s can sometimes find the most amazing plants you've ever seen and also the worst plants you've ever grown in the same batch. That is the potential of an F2. So you may find amazing fire in there. You may find complete garbage in there because we're opening up a Pandora's box of genetics. Everything that is available is in there. You're going to see traits, like I said a moment ago, traits from the mom, traits from the dad, then traits from mom's mom and dad, and traits from dad's mom and dad. And then you may if you understand and know the expressions and the parents of those plants, you may see further down the line on both sides. So the F2 is where you're gonna see weird shit. 
So honestly, I can't answer your question directly because we've got a couple of variables. We've got the BX3, which if done correctly is really locked in. Then the F2 uh, is going to open Pandora's box, but I'm not sure how much of Pandora's box was washed out by the BX crosses. If we selected properly, we pushed out a lot of that bullshit that we didn't want. So it may or may not appear in the F2 generation. I haven't done this, so I don't know. And then it talks about the Larry OG clone crossed into SFV to provide pollen in the first back cross, which means now we've got GMO and Larry OG and SFV. So we could see traits of the Larry. We could see traits of the SFV. We could see traits of the original GMO. We could see traits of the chem. We could see traits of the Kush. Uh, we could see traits of Girl Scout cookies. We could see a lot of different traits in here, a lot of different variables. So I'm not exactly sure how to answer that because I've never done a BX3 then F2'd it. Um, the BX3 would get me where I needed to be. I feel like the F2 may cause problems, may unlock Pandora's box, may uh, just lead you to F3 it so you could relock in the traits that you lost from F1. I may just stick at the F1. Uh, the BX3 is probably, I would have gone BX4 is what I would have done. Um, but um, shout out to the breeder that did this, that did this work. That's a lot of breeding. That's a long way to go. I wish I was more clear. I understand they use the Larry OG to SFE to make the pollen. You had to use something to make a back cross. That does make sense. So you open it up and then put it back to itself. Got to start that uh, project somewhere. I do not have a direct answer for you, my dude. I apologize for that, but I think I rambled on long enough to give you ideas. Uh, you may see Larry traits. You may see SFV traits. You may see chem traits. You may see cookies traits. It depends on how the selections were done. They could be completely uniform. They may be completely wild. Find the phenotype that works best for you. Clone that bad bitch and grow it forever. If you've got seeds, maybe make that F3 filial generation if that's something that you can do. All right, my dude, Dinger, I want to thank you for the great question. That was a really good one. Got me going for a good time. Got me rambling for quite a while. I do appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, pimps, hoes, friends, foes, smokers, growers, clone cutters, dog people, cat people, even people without pets. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to another rambly episode of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. If you have any questions, corrections, comments, or concerns, you know I would love to hear from you. The email address, of course, is growfromyourheart at hotmail.com. Don't be shy. Reach out. Let me know what you think of the show. Give me that constructive criticism, that positive feedback. I'll read it on the show. Maybe we'll make some changes. Also, don't forget about the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. Anything else you may need will be on my website at iriegenetics.com. Give it a click. Check it out. See what we've got for you. That is all I've got for you for this episode. You know, I'll be back in a couple of days with fresh new content. I want to give a giant shout out to my buddy Frosty McNuggets. And until next time, take a fat dab and give your mom a hug for me.